Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and we are with you today. We're so happy to be with you. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show in its 22nd year on voiceamerica.com. The program that shows you how to turn your problems into solutions and your obstacles into opportunities and help to make your dreams come true. So today we, are, we have a very interesting interview. We're talking about a novel. What we're talking about it really from a real learning standpoint. Um, my guest is Libby Sternberg. She's an Edgar Award finalist. She's a Launchpad Pro's top 50 finalist. And she's a Book Life Quarter finalist twice. She writes historical fiction contemporary women's fiction, young adult mysteries, and more. And she also reduces humorous works under the name of Libby Main. And she also has a romantic comedy, Fire Me, which was brought to film. And her novel, Sloan Hall, was a retelling of Jane Eyre. It was only one of 14 books highlighted in the Huffington Post on the 200th anniversary of Charlotte Bronte's birth. She holds a master's and a bachelor's degree and she also um, sang with various opera companies before she turned to writing. And Libby has a new book, and it's called Daisy. And it's very interesting. She gives Daisy a voice in this novel. It's her version of the classic story of the great Gadsby. And from Daisy's point of view, welcome, Libby. Libby Sternberg. Well, thank you for having me. So, Great Gatsby is an American classic. What was missing from the book that compelled you to write this novel, Daisy? Well, uh, The Great Gatsby, like many people, I loved that book. The first time I read it, I've reread it over the years. And to me, the interesting or an an interesting thing about it is here you have a book that is about a man's obsession with a particular woman, Jay Gadsby's obsession with his love from the First World War, Daisy Fay, who is now married, and is Daisy Buchanan. So that's kind of at the heart of the book, is his obsession for her and his lifelong or years-long um endeavor to find her and to reunite with her. And yet Mm. Fitzgerald does not really flesh out her character. (laughs) So Mm. I kind of wanted to know who she really was. And Mm. when the book entered, when um, The Great Gatsby entered the public domain last year, which meant writers would have the ability to use material from it without worrying about copyright infringement, Mm. I decided to explore Daisy's character. Hmm. And so you gave Daisy voice. And how did you come up with how you think she felt from reading the story and just commenting on things that she said in the novel? Uh, How did you come up with her take on this? Well, when you read the novel, the little you do hear of her, she comes across, to me at least, as very intelligent, um, very clever, very charming. Um, She has some of the funniest and best lines in the book, or most clever lines, uh, whether it's, do you always wait for the longest day of the year and then miss it? Um, She says that she wishes her daughter to be a beautiful little fool. She has some witty banter with her cousin, the narrator of the book, Nick Carraway. And as I thought about that, I thought, this is a very smart woman who is masking her intelligence with charm. Mm. And why would she do that? And but, well, that? Let me ask you, Libby, don't you think in that era women did that? 
I mean, don't you? I mean, people oh, certainly do that today absolutely. as well, right? I mean, you know, and particularly then in that era, you didn't want to, you couldn't, you were um, uh, criticized if you were too strong, right, or too pushy, or too opinionated. Oh, absolutely! You hit the nail on the head, and that—that that was what. I was trying to communicate in my book, Daisy, is how she, why she did that. And I hope actually that that resonates with women today because unfortunately I think a lot of women still feel the need to do that. That if they are too opinionated or too assertive or even too thorough or too meticulous, um, they are labeled as pushy or aggressive. Mm. Um, instead of more positive adjectives that might be used if they were a man. So what you're saying is she used her charm as an alternative. Yes. Which a and lot so of women do. I tried to, mm-hmm, that I think, I mean it, like I said, I think women still do that. So do she, you think, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that. I, when I explored her character, I wanted to also show how she eventually awakens to her own um, self, to her own identity, because Fitzgerald doesn't give her much of an identity beyond mm. this sort of a natural, charming creature. She's almost like a sprite, not quite real. And I wanted to make her real and let readers see her developing her character and awakening to her own um, ability to choose her future. And do you think this is kind of a theme that you carry out in your books of um, more of a feminist theme where women will struggle for autonomy and independence and respect? And then how how women work through that? I've I've been asked if it's a feminist novel, and I I kind of balk at that that label a little bit because I'm afraid it's too restrictive. I would hope that it's a story that appeals to anyone who, um, first of all, liked the original and wants to see a story of personal growth. Um, I do think I tend to write women characters who are going on that same journey mm-hmm. <laughs> of discovering who they are and coming into their own, um, that I think that a, a lot of women can relate to. I, I know in my own life, I feel like that was sort of my own journey <laughs> of mm-hmm. figuring out who I was, what I wanted to do, and how to pursue it. Yeah, yeah, and so that's that's what you're looking at. Well, and you've had that in in other books that you've written, right? I mean, in in the book that you talked about, or Jane Eyre. I mean, certainly this woman was a feminist before her time, or or was it? We don't want to use the word feminist. Was certainly independent and spirited, um, and, and um, brought that mm-hmm. out. I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think Jane Eyre has a wonderful feminist message in it. I should tell you, though, that my Jane Eyre retelling, which is called Sloan Hall, actually switches the genders, though. The the Jane character is a man, and the Rochester is a woman. But in Jane Eyre, I love the fact that she was so true to herself. I know some feminists have a problem with Jane Eyre, with the uh, start of Chapter 38, which is where she says, Reader, I married him. (laughs) Mm. I think some feminists would would prefer that she had stayed independent. But for me, the, the big moment in Jane Eyre that I absolutely love is when she discovers that Rochester you know, has this big secret, (laughs) this mad wife in the attic. And he still wants Jane to stay with him and be Mm -hmm. his mistress. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so he's begging her to stay with him and basically saying, why should you care what other people think? Because, you know, she's without family, without social status. And her response, I just, I loved her response. It was, I care for myself. Yeah. The more solitary, the more friendless, the more unsustained I am, the more I will respect myself. Mm. And I, that, that is so, such a powerful moment, I think. Yeah. And one that I think women, especially young women, should relate to. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you because society in the 1920s certainly restricted women's freedoms economically and socially and physically. Do you think our country's political climate threatens to reverse some of these hard-won gains in gender equality over the last century? I mean, we just had this whole overturning of, of Roe, you know. So um, what's your feeling about that? I think that um, I don't see it going backward. No, I don't. And in fact, in my novel, the current novel, Daisy, I do have Daisy confront some of the practical obstacles that a woman faced during that time, which women do not face today, such as back then it would have been hard for her to have her own bank account Mm -hmm. um, or to have control Mm -hmm. of her own finances. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I even remember that as a young woman. When I was a young woman, a woman couldn't even um, get a credit card in her own name. And all of that has changed for the better, and I still see us progressing uh, in areas of equality for women. I don't see us going backward. Which is great. All right, and on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk more to Libby Sternberg about this novel, Daisy, that is really um, the story of Daisy Buchanan's voice that was part of the great Gatsby. And so what did Daisy think? And this is what Libby writes about. Libby has been an Edgar Award finalist, and she has been a Launchpad Pro's Top 50 finalist and a Book Live Quarter finalist twice, once for Daisy as well. And her novel, Sloan Hall, was a retelling of Jane Eyre, was only one of 14 books highlighted in the Huffington Post 200th anniversary of Charlotte Bronte's book. book. And her romantic comedy, Fire Me, was brought for film. So she has so many credits to her name in taking these characters and bringing them to life and also sharing lessons with us about um, being human, about being a woman, about um, perseverance and independence. And we'll talk more to Libby after this, uh, right after the break, about the novel Daisy. All right, folks, stay tuned. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's time to get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson, the Midlife Whisperer. Your midlife roadmap is the blueprint you need to roll with change, transform yourself, and create a fabulous second adulthood. Get answers and solutions for whatever you're up against and transform problems into opportunities. Make your next life chapter your best chapter with Rock Your Midlife every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin Show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome back to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. And we are talking to author uh, and novelist Libby Sternberg. And she's a prolific writer. She's the author of The New Book Daisy, which is a retelling of the iconic novel The Great Gatsby from Daisy's voice and Daisy's perspective. And she also um, is an Edgar Award finalist. One of her romantic comedies, Fire Me, was brought to film. Her, her novel, Sloan Hall, was the retelling of Jane Eyre. And that was one of only 14 books that was highlighted in the Huffington Post on the 200th anniversary of Charlotte Bronte's book. And she also was um, an opera singer before she turned to writing. And welcome back. Welcome back, Libby. Well, thank you. And, you know, before we get into anything else, I just want to share with you that as I was preparing for this show, I was talking to my sister-in-law last week about women authors and the like, and she shared with me an article in Archaeology Today that was about the first known author 4,000 years ago they have found clay tablets and it's a woman (laughs) so the first known author was a woman (laughs) wow well there you go very telling (laughs) Uh, so no pun intended right so um let's go back and what i want to talk about is Kind of your your reasoning behind your writing, because you you tend to look at more historical dramas or period dramas, or um, and you really study the characters. And I guess my question for you is, what can we learn, particularly as women, because you often focus on the woman's character, but not always. What can we learn as women that we can take away for today? I think from many books written by women, you do find a focus on how women see themselves in the world and the struggles that they face. I think that's particularly true with contemporary novels, novels set in the present time um, that are written by women, and they speak to how what our culture is and how women fit in that culture. Mm. They are, um, they're, they appeal to people because when people read them, they can say, yes, yes, that's me or I've been through that. Um, so I, I try to do that in my writing is capture um, those sorts of uh, struggles and challenges. Yeah. yeah, which is, which is um, you know, can be related to any age. And it was interesting, I was telling you during the break that I have always enjoyed period dramas, you know, whether they're right. costume drama, but also that era, that sort of 19th century, 20, well, it's more tw- 19th and 20th century eras, right, where it was just a whole different dialogue, the way people talked to each other and, um, and communicated. Speak about that. Yes. Um, I think that that is somewhat a form of 
escapism. It is nice to escape into the past and uh, when there might have been more structure, social structure. Uh, and I, I think it's it's fun to visit that. I think a lot of period dramas and um, those types of stories fall under the romance category and mm. I am I am a proud supporter of romance novelists. In fact, I one of my um gigs is I'm a currently a freelance editor for a major romance publisher. Mm. That's what I do when I'm not not writing. And I have phenomenal admiration and respect for these women. It is a field that's dominated by women authors and readers. It makes up a huge part of the fiction market. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, I think, get the same amount of respect that other genres do. Um, and in fact, there was, there was a controversy, like it was, 10 or 12 years ago, where, you know, the author, Jonathan Franzen, Mm -hmm. he wrote several bestsellers, and they had themes of family and social issues and love relationships, and he got a lot of uh, respect in literary reviews, like the New York Times, I think, reviewed him several times. And the um, female authors, like Jennifer Weiner, who's written the bestsellers In Her Shoes, Good in Bed, and Jodi Picoult, who's another best-selling woman author, they they were they went public with their concerns that hey, women write these stories too. Women write about relationships, about love and whether that's in the past or the present. And they don't get the same amount of literary acclaim mm-hmm. that happens when a man, man writes about it. Yeah. You know what's interesting? If you look at what's happening today, you know, with um, a lot of the, the historical dramas that are um, also not just historical, but they're, they're female-oriented in some ways. Like if you look at the Vikings, or the Lost Kingdom, or even sometimes the Game of yeah. Thrones. Now, I know that sometimes they were brutal and, um, you know, and graphic, but there were a lot of very strong women, very strong protagonist women um, in, yeah. in these novels. You know, they really they really were. And so I think that's something to be said. You, we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of very oh, strong I, female characters. Yes, I love that. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm a fan of The Last Kingdom. <laughs> and yes, yeah. it had strong, strong female characters in it, even though, of course, the the warriors were men. Well, they, they were women warriors, too, in that series. I, I think that one of the things I love, though, about um, whether it's period romance or... Contemporary romance is the fact that the love relationship is between equals. That's certainly true now in today's romance novels. And it always ends with what is called an H-E-A in the business, a happily ever after. And I I think that's wonderful. It's optimistic. It presents a picture that it, it is possible to find the love of your life. Yeah, I, th- I think all of that's interesting. It's just so um, interesting how history in some ways repeats itself. You know? And yeah, we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, but um, I think the question I have is that, you know, in all of these novels, um, do you think there is uh, like an underlying message to all of them? Is it about women being strong, about women being independent? Is it about women in strong, powerful relationships? Is it about unrequited love? Or, I mean, is it about all of that? <laughs> I, I think, yes, the answer is all of the above. 
I think it is about powerful women and about finding love. And um, I, I don't often write about unrequited love. Well, I'm, in a I'm way, a fan of the, the HBA. In a way, that sort of happened, didn't it, a little bit in, in The Great Gatsby? I mean, not maybe for her, but for, you know, the man that was really loving her. Well, that, mm-hmm, that is true. The Great Gatsby does not have a happy ending. Mm. Um, in my book, Daisy, I actually hope that readers will see it as a happy ending. Um, I don't want to spoil the ending. It's different from Fitzgerald's, um, but it it has to do with her realizing what she wants out of life and choosing her own path, and I consider that a happy ending. Mm, yes. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more to uh, to Libby and more to Libby Stanberg about kind of, you know, what brought her to all of this. Um, she was worked in education reform as an advocate in Vermont. So we'll talk about this. We'll talk about books for children today and what's appropriate and what isn't appropriate. And you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired and contemplative thought showcasing experts in their fields including authors musicians and artists your host winifred adams will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter we want to hear from you be sure to tune in thursdays at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel tune in to melody edmondson's the space of the waste radio program This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hello, everyone, and we are back. My guest is Libby Sternberg. She is an Edgar finalist, a Launchpad Pro's Top 50 finalist, and a Book Life Quarter finalist twice. She writes historical fiction, women's fiction, and more under the names of Libby Sternberg and Libby Mallon. Her romantic comedies, one of them was brought to film, and her other telling of the classic story of Jane Eyre, titled Sloan Hall, was one of 14 books highlighted in the Huffington Post 200th anniversary of Charlotte Bronte's book. And we're talking about the new novel that she's written called Daisy. Okay. 
And this is very interesting. Uh, it's really Daisy's perspective um, of the novel. Um, if she were to, if she were talking. So welcome back, Libby. Thank you. Yeah. Talk a little bit before we get into um, kind of, you know, how you've gotten into all this. The journey itself of being a writer. I mean, you didn't start as a writer. How did that evolve for you? Um, no, you're right. I didn't start as a writer. I I started as an opera singer. <laughs> I yeah. went to Peabody Conservatory of Music. I'm from Baltimore originally. And when I was a little girl, my parents noticed I had a nice voice and they signed me up first for piano lessons and then um, at Peabody I auditioned and got in and I loved it. I mean, I... I'm very grateful for that education. I learned an awful lot about music I never would have become familiar with otherwise. No one in my family was a professional musician. Uh, My sister and I were the first in our immediate family to go to college. And um, as much as I loved it, I I loved writing more. I loved writing stories. And, you know, when you're a singer, when an opera singer, it's hard to make a living at that. And I found that I could get day jobs as a writer in the communications field because I was good at it. But I would also write short stories and the like on the side. And one day I was talking to my sister. I was between uh, freelance jobs. And I I was uh, bemoaning the fact that I didn't have another gig lined up. And she said, you know, Liv, you should write romance. (laughs) Because... She mm, she knew I loved to write. I had shared yeah. stories with her over the years, and she kept encouraging encourage, uh, encouraging mm. me to write romance because she, at the time, was a big romance reader fan. It it has a formula. In case you don't know, there is a specific formula for romance books, mm. and I guess she figured that if I was a talented writer, I should be able to just, you know. Well, but, you know, you said something earlier. You said, you know, it was hard to make it as an opera singer. Well, it's also hard to make it as a writer, Libby. You know, that's also, I I mean, this is all the art. So it's not any easier. But you hit a chord. You know, whatever you were doing really hit a chord. Yeah. I guess so. I looked at it as jumping from the fire into the frying pan yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, ter- yeah. in terms of uh, employment. and But I finally I took her seriously, and I decided, okay, I'm going to try this and really and apply myself to, to it seriously. And by that I meant, you, you know, when you write fiction, as, when you start out at least, you have to write the whole novel before you submit it even to an agent. You can't just send them an idea or a proposal mm. with a few chapters. You can sell nonfiction that way. Yes. But fiction, you pretty much have to, that's a big time commitment to yeah. sit there and say, okay, I'm going to write this. And you feel a little foolish at first, particularly in my circumstance. As I said, we came from a family which... Very loving and supportive family, but the first in our family to go to college, didn't know anything about the literary world, had never attended a writing workshop. I felt like writing novels was for people who graduated from Ivy League colleges. Mm. So I thought, my sister's right, I should start in romance, this genre. Fiction. And that worked. Well, I find interesting. Go ahead, and then I have a question around that. 
Okay, so I went out and I bought some romance novels and I read them and I thought, yeah, I can do this. This this should be easy. And these editors will love to hear from me because at that time I was a professional writer. I was writing for a number of organizations like newsletters and I said, as I said, freelance articles. So anyway, I started writing romance novels, and long story short, many rejections later, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I finally got my first adult novel published, and it was published by Harlequin, Mm -hmm. a big romance publisher, in their, what was called their chick lit line, which is really humorous women's fiction. Hmm. And uh, I I learned that writing romance is not as easy as you would think it is. Well, I want to ask you this because I'm segueing a little bit. Because you previously worked as an education reform advocate in Vermont. And there's a lot of books, you know, a lot of debate these days about which books are appropriate for school-age kids. So how does all this relate, you know, being kind of an advocate for education reform, how does this relate to the work that you're doing now with historical fiction and romantic fiction? And um, how does this relate in terms of um, your work then really about education reform? Um, we didn't, my organization didn't deal with that well, when I was involved. That seems to be an issue that's just cropping up more and more lately. I I was interested to see that The Great Gatsby itself had turned up on a list of books that teachers and librarians who were surveyed thought that it and some other classics like Jane Eyre should be removed from summer reading lists. Um, And the reason... Because they felt it wasn't relevant enough and Mm. that during the summer, students run the risk of losing some of their reading skills. So they thought there should be more relevant books on summer reading lists. Well, I can see their point. I can see how that would be important. I would argue, however, that books like Jane Eyre and The Great Gatsby and some other classics have universal and eternal themes that are relevant today and that they also provide a window on a different time period. But that, when I saw an article about that, it made me realize that these these teachers and librarians who responded to a survey, it was a survey about summer reading lists, They're just trying to thoughtfully discern what's appropriate for kids. So when I read stories about books that are challenged or want to be removed from libraries by, say, a school board or a library board, I am trying to be less judgmental about that. Um, I I think there was a story this year about the graphic novel Mouse. Are you familiar with that? Um, It's a book about the Holocaust, a graphic novel. Mm, And I think it it was. Oh, yes. Was that Mouse? Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. I am, of course. Yes. It was removed from um, some schools. Yeah. reading list, I think, for yeah. middle grade readers. Mm-hmm. But if you delved into the story, the reason they were removing it wasn't because the school board was a bunch of Holocaust deniers. They were removing it because they felt that it had um, material that was not appropriate for that particular age group. So I'm not going to sit in judgment over that because I think that every day, every day, even in our own lives, we end up sort of banning books (laughs) because, Mm. I mean, let me give you an example. I went through a huge reorganization of, of all the books 
in my house. We have bookcases in every room of our house except the bathrooms, the kitchen, and the dining rooms. We have a lot of books. And I went through this rearrangement process, and I ended up throwing out books, Mm -hmm. ones that were, you know, falling apart so dusty that when you open them, you sneeze. Some of those I made a note to replace with new ones, and other ones I thought, nah, I don't need to keep this. It doesn't speak to me. I, it's not one I would recommend to guests coming into my house. So I was going through a discernment process myself about what books to keep and which ones to let go of. And I think that's a so good process for everyone. I think a lot of people have a lot of books. And I know from all the books of the people that I've interviewed, it's sometimes very difficult to decide. You know, and you really have to look at that and say, I'm going to read this. Do I want to hold on to it? Um, would, would be better served if someone else sees it. It's, um, it's not always an easy process with books. It's very hard. It, it, it was very hard to actually take a book and put it in the trash can. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it yeah. had to be really falling apart for me. Yeah. To do that, but I think this is a process that goes on in libraries mm-hmm. all the time too, or in yeah. schools where they can't keep every book; they have to make yeah. room for new yeah. ones. Well, for me, and I give my books to libraries, and so I, I'm not throwing them away. I'm giving them to libraries, but we don't know what the library is going to do with them. So, um, <laughs> at some point, like you said, you know, there has to be a decision made. Or I will put them in a box with a big sign saying free and put them on my yes. front yard. Yes. Yeah. All right. On yeah. that note, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll mm-hmm. close the interview. But we're talking to uh, Libby Sternberg today and she's the author of Daisy. She's a prolific writer, won many, many awards. And Daisy is at the heart of the great Gatsby. And what she's doing is she's reimagined, she's reimagined um, Daisy and what would Daisy's take be on The Great Gatsby. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Listen for Go to Health Radio, featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your healthcare needs and reputable healthcare experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back, and we are talking to Libby Sternberg, who is a prolific novelist and an award-winning novelist many times over. She's an Edgar Award finalist, a Launchpad Pros Top 50 finalist, and a Book Life Quarter finalist twice. Once for Daisy, which is the novel we're talking about today, which is Daisy Buchanan's take on The Great Gatsby, of which Daisy Buchanan is a character. Also, Libby writes historical fiction, contemporary women's fiction, young adult mysteries, and more. And she releases her humorous works under the name of Libby Mallon. And her romantic comedy, Fire Me, was bought for film. Her novel, Sloan Hall, a retelling of Jane Eyre, was only one of 14 books highlighted in the Huffington Post on their 200th anniversary of Charlotte Bronte's book and birth. And she holds a bachelor's degree and master's degree from the Peabody Conservatory of Music and sang with various opera companies for before she turned to writing. Welcome, Libby, again. All right. Well, it's so, been a pleasure. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. Well, I know that we talked a lot about your transition from being an opera singer to writing and how this just really worked for you. What advice would you give to novelists, people who want to write fiction, or even nonfiction. Fiction can be more difficult. But what advice would you give based on everything that you've learned in your work? Well, I think the first piece of advice is to be persistent and to don't give up. This is a business that has a tremendous amount of rejection in it. And you have to learn to accept that rejection and to learn from it because sometimes Mm. you get rejections that aren't just form rejections, oh, this wasn't right for me. Sometimes agents or editors will take the time to tell you what it is precisely that they didn't connect with and why. And so you can learn from that. The other piece of advice I would give to aspiring writers, learn as much as you can about the publishing business. That was a big revelation to me when I went into this seriously, was how much time I had to spend learning about the business, what agents represented what kinds of works. Um, what they might be like to work with, what you should look for in a book contract. Those are all very important things for writers to learn. And now, of course, you also have the additional um, avenue of self-publishing, which no longer holds a stigma um, because of Kindle really pioneering, Amazon pioneering, self-publishing uh, outlets for authors. Yeah. So you have a lot more to in that area. But there's yes. more opportunity. Yes, yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is um, really great. So uh, you have to spend a lot of time learning about the business. And as I mentioned earlier, I did start in romance, and I actually tell aspiring writers, authors, that If you haven't gone to a writing program, if you kind of are afraid you don't know what you're doing, try writing romance because romance is a lesson in writing. Mm. Mm. As I said, there's a formula to it. The readers have very specific expectations. So you have to create believable characters and believable plot lines within this formula so that even though readers are expecting to find that happily ever after, there has to be that moment in the story where they're not sure it's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. that really forces you to hone your craft. 
Mm-hmm. So I've, I've encouraged people to write in that field, even if it's not the field they want to ultimately yeah. be in. For practice, for practice. Yeah, and I want to let it's people also, know. That... Uh, Go ahead. Then we have one minute left. Go it, ahead. Oh, it's also a very supportive group of writers, too. Oh, that's wonderful. Great way to start. Um, Libby's website is LibbySternberg.com, L-I-B-B-Y-S-T-E-R-N-B-E-R-G.com. Um, thank you so much, Libby, for being on the program and talking about not just the novel Daisy, um, but your other novels and kind of how you got into this in your belief, you know, around how um, writing can help to empower us, right? And just in, this, in a couple sentences, what do you think writing has done for you that maybe the opera singing didn't do for you? Just what would, what would it you has say? Made, it has made me enormously happy. Mm, well, and that's important. That's key. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much, Libby. Again, we'll tell people to go on to LibbySternberg.com. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you for having me. It was a joy. Thank you. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com. You can find me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. If you'd like to be on my newsletter list so you can see all the great guests I have on, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. And if you're thinking about doing a podcast, I've interviewed about 5,000 guest experts in my career, and I can help you with content and with style. And again, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.